0: Happy New Year, everybody. Good morning. Can everybody hear me okay? All right. Um, So about a month ago, Josh asked if I could uh, preach today. Um, And I always love just every, I'm always thankful for every opportunity I get to preach. And so uh, today I wanted to preach out of Galatians chapter 5. It's been on my heart for a bit, and I think that uh, this is just something that is for The church and for us, corporately and individually, as we continue growing um, with each week, with each month, with each year that we keep gathering. And so, I really feel just a burden on my heart to share these verses to teach today and for us to just be encouraged by these and to apply them in our lives as well. Um, So, the reason I did choose this passage specifically for today one, it's a new year, and of course, at New Year's time, we're always you know, getting into the whole goal setting, the we want to self-improve, so we start to think of all the different things we want to do this time of year. Um, and those goals can either be earthly goals or spiritual goals. Um, a lot of times, like for earthly goals, we're like, well, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start do- taking a- doing a diet and losing weight and getting healthier. And I'm going to save up so I can buy a house or I'm going to pay off my mortgage or I'm going to work really hard at my career and get that promotion. And other times, um, specific to Christians, we start creating spiritual goals where it's like, all right, well, I want to have self-control over my anger or I don't want to look at pornography or I'm going to memorize Bible verses. And we start to create all these different goals for us. Um, And specific to us as believers, many times I've noticed that when we're trying to set goals, we look at the fruit of the Spirit. And so we read Galatians 5, verses um, 13 through 26, and we look at you know, what the works of the flesh are and what living in the flesh is versus walking in the Spirit. And we start to memorize these verses. And they're really good verses. I, I don't want to knock anything against it. But a lot of times we kind of just take those verses in a vacuum and we forget the context in which Paul, the apostle, was writing to the church in Galatia and to us as well. And so I want to dig into this passage today. I want to study and encourage all of us in it. But I also want to look at the surrounding context of it because I think this is very important as we move forward. So my goal today is twofold. Um, To anyone attending here today or to anyone who might listen online who isn't a Christian, you know, I want to present the ultimate freedom that we have in Christ. You know, we can create all these self-help goals. We can do everything by the book and follow the trends of our society. We can follow all the different self-help books. We can follow all the influencers and just keep finding all these things to make ourselves better. But we're never ultimately free in and of those selves. And I'm really glad, Jesse, that you shared that song that you wrote today. I'm saying, and I really loved it. And I just love that section where it says, um, maybe I'm not quoting it exactly right, but you know, I was a slave to my sin, but was convinced I was free. And it's this idea that we so many times go through life thinking that we're free from all these burdens and all these chains, and yet many times... Um, we still walk in blindness and we don't realize what ultimate freedom is. And so today my goal um, for anyone here who isn't a Christian that there is freedom found in Christ. There is a greater hope in life more so than just chasing goals and trying to better yourself. And also I want to address all believers here as well, whether you're attending today or listening online later. You know, these verses as I said, typically we use them to combat sins and addictions but we need to understand the full context here that they were written in because if we don't understand the full weight and the full power um, of Paul's address here to believers then we don't fully understand the power of God's word to us and the power it has to transform us. And so that is my goal for today. So I want to start with just kind of an overview of the book of Galatians. I highly recommend that, you know, everyone read it. It's very good it's very powerful but Paul is writing this to a church that he had helped minister to in plant and he had preached to but shortly after leaving um, to continue on his missionary trips he gets word that false teachers have come into the church there have been a lot of um, Judaizers coming in um, so these are uh, people who are Jewish and still adhere to the Mosaic law and the covenants, covenantal laws of Israel. And they're coming in and saying that in order to truly be satisfied, all Christians must be circumcised. And so they're starting to come in and bring back the Israel law and saying that even if you're not Jewish, all Gentile believers or non Jewish believers have to follow these laws, they have to get circumcised, they have to follow these in order to truly be saved. And Paul is, you know, provoked by the Spirit to write this letter to remind people of the freedom we have in Christ, and to warn us against these false gospels that creep in, that try to tell us that we need to follow Jesus and something else. So, Just a quick thing, you know, as we're going to be kind of going through it, I know a lot of times the word circumcision gets referenced a lot, and um, most people, I would assume, know what that means. If not, uh, just look in the dictionary. Uh, But anyway, why is this so important? You know, it's like I feel like this always gets used, and I feel like in the 21st century we kind of forget the importance of this term or this action. Um, And we have to remember that this was circumcision for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people, was a sign of covenant with God. And so for many people still living under this law, they still saw circumcision as a sign of covenant with God, which is why they felt that any non-Jewish believers now coming into the church must be following these rules and following these laws. And so here's Paul's response. He starts out in chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, in his address to the church. really dig into the greek of that so that we understand the full weight of what paul's saying so the word accursed in greek um strong's g331 in when you look at the strong's um greek text that word accursed means anathema and what that the definition of that word means is a thing devoted to god without hope of being redeemed and if an animal to be slain Therefore, it is a person or thing doomed to destruction. Um, I've heard other pastors kind of say it more bluntly, but what this means is damnation. And now I know, like, for those of us who grew up in youth group in the church, like, the D word you don't say. But in the proper use here, you need to understand the full weight of this word. Paul is saying that for anyone who preaches a gospel other than Jesus Christ is damned to hell. And so we need to understand that we cannot allow for any sort of false gospels to be creeping in and taking our hope off of Christ and for us to start now relying on a different means of salvation than when we were previously saved. And so this is what Paul's trying to get at here, is this form of legalism that has crept into the Galatian church. So he continues on. Um, You can read all through chapters 2 through 4, and he continues his arguments. But I really like what he says here at the start of chapter 5, which is where we're going to kind of pick up and then continue on into. So verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, Paul writes, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated or separated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await uh, through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. And so where we're going to start taking this into the sermon today is that Paul understands that the church is going to wrestle with this very delicate balance of faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so for the first five chapters, he's addressing The dangers of legalism he's warning against legalism in the church trying to follow a law in order to uh, gain salvation when it's only by jesus christ but we're also going to see today the other side of the spectrum because we need to avoid the pendulum swing and so paul's also going to address that even though we're not bound by following a certain law anymore our faith in jesus christ has given us freedom but we don't get to now use that freedom as a license to sin. And so there is this tightrope walk almost in our life. And so, and it's a very delicate balance. But Paul's words here are going to encourage us today to keep our eyes on God's word and following the Holy Spirit as we navigate life, both in our own personal lives, but as a church. So, before we really dig into kind of the meat of my uh, sermon today, I just want to uh, stop and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day that you have given us. Thank you for a new year, and um, with that, just uh, you know, just another, in a sense, a fresh start. We've, you know, we thank you for the, the break and the rest that we had from the holidays to just sit down and just reset a little bit. And Lord, as we look to a new year, you know, many of us might feel a bit apprehensive about, um, you know, different things, whether it's work-related or family, you know, feel, it might feel overwhelming. But Lord, I just pray that um, right here, right now, that you would just um, just give us a sense of calmness and peace, that we would be able to just simply rest and learn from your word today. Uh, God, I also pray that you would prepare and soften our hearts Lord, if there's any areas where we need to be rebuked and convicted, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in us to bring about um, that work of holiness. Lord, that we would uh, turn from any ways that have been wrong and unbiblical and repent and once more walk in the ways that you've called us. And uh, God, I just pray that you would just take this time and just be speaking to all of us. Um, Lord, We don't want this to be, uh, we don't want these words to become a source of pride because of how well we can follow them, nor do we want to be complacent either and just disregard them. So help us to uh, just follow the leading of your Holy Spirit within us, to follow your Holy Word to us, and to just walk in that in obedience and humility. And I just pray for this today. In your name, amen. So as we dive in, once again, I want to kind of go over the purpose of the sermon today. So I want to try as best as possible to avoid any sort of pendulum swings between legalism and license to sin. Because there is a tension, and we have to understand that. I think a lot of times we um, tend to see everything in our society as two sides of a coin and so we have to be on one side or the other and yet a lot of times the christian life is this narrow walk in which there's ravines on both sides that it's easy to stumble into and so a lot of times we feel like if we're going to stumble we should err on the side of caution so we err towards legalism where it's like okay well i mean i trust that jesus is enough but like maybe just in case i should be kind of doing this this and this just in case And we start to have this, like, insurance almost, like, well, my good works should be enough to help protect against, like, you know, just in case Jesus' atonement isn't enough for me. But then the other side, there is this um, other sense of, like, oh, well, I mean, if God's grace is enough, like, I can kind of just do what I want because I'm saved and I've got my fire insurance card and I can just live as I please. And there's this tension Where we need to be digging into the word and following the Holy Spirit every single moment of our lives. Because to fall into the traps of legalism or license um, is honestly just an immature view of God's grace. We need to fully understand God's grace in order to stay on this path our entire life. And even in that, we need to understand that God's grace is sufficient for the moments when we do stumble. So, in today's sermon, we're going to be looking at both sides of this. We're going to be looking at this attitude of this license to sin. And the way Paul defeats that is by presenting that God's grace is sufficient in our weaknesses. However, although God's grace is sufficient for our sins and weaknesses, we are still being called by the Holy Spirit to holiness every single day. And then on the other side of that tension is this legalism. And how we defeat legalism is knowing that the call to holiness in our lives is a result of the Holy Spirit within us. As we look in other sections of scripture, like Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter 1, the Holy Spirit serves as a seal for our salvation. It is a down payment of the inheritance we will receive. And so, knowing that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and is our seal, we are already justified and cannot further earn salvation. And these are the arguments that Paul is going to make today. The other purpose of this sermon is that I want to encourage us, corporately as a church body and personally, not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, as Paul will say, but through love to serve one another. So let's dive in to where we're going to be reading today. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verses 13 uh, through 15. So in these first couple verses, we see Paul already making all of his arguments and now applying this to the, bo- the body of Christ and saying, here's how we do it. So starting in verse 13, he says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. You know, I, I love how he addresses these verses here. Because up until this point, Paul has been denouncing false gospels that add to the requirements of salvation. He's been denouncing all the additional rules that we try to make for ourselves so that we know that we're saved or that someone else is saved. But at the same time, many of us fear that if we remove rules and regulations that people will just live as they please. And that is true, that sometimes without some rules and some structure, some people are tempted to just live as they please. So Paul explains here that Yes, there is ultimately freedom in Jesus Christ. But don't use that freedom to live as you please. Rather, live in love for one another. He says the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he exhorts the entire church to be serving one another in love. Because if we have an attitude of love and humility to our brothers and sisters, we're not going to be focusing on how to live for ourselves and just do as we please. So I say this, you know, and maybe we ask, like, well, what does it mean that we now have freedom but don't let our freedom be a means of sin? And I want to talk about this for a second. You know, from the beginning, when we talk about salvation... You know, I think a lot of times we kind of just, if we grew up in the church or if we've been doing this for a while, we just kind of take it for granted. We're like, okay, like, Jesus died for my sins, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, not hell. But we need to really, um, once again, as Christian talked about during the advent of joy, you know, joy is a remembrance of God's grace. We need to stop and think again about God's grace here. So... We are born into a sinful nature. We are broken. Because of that, um, we are separated from God. We are dead in our sins. Many of us try to find different ways to a sense of a higher calling or a sense of nirvana or heaven or just self-improvement and better living. But all of those are still lead to, they still lead to death. We are still chained to our sins because no matter how much every new year we try to better ourselves, we're still imperfect. We're still broken. No matter how many times we try to follow a set of rules or some sort of world philosophy, we're still broken. You know, we try to convince ourselves like, okay, well, I'm just going to keep working and working off of that and getting better. But the fact of the matter is even if you were better than last year, you still were imperfect because of previous actions. And you're still going to stumble in something else this year that next year you're going to set a goal to get better at. And so therefore, we have to understand that we are broken and imperfect. And so it was only through Jesus Christ, God the Son, coming down to earth here as fully human. He fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament law that was given to the nation of Israel. He lived a perfect life as God and human, and when he was crucified, he was hung on that cross, he served as our atonement. So he, his sacrifice, his death on the cross served as an atonement for our sins, a substitute. And so now, when we say things like, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, what we're saying is, I have faith and am living in that faith that what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection is enough to cover my sins and i am now saved from god's wrath that is what faith in jesus christ is and that is the freedom paul is talking about here because when we have faith only in jesus christ now our freedom is i trust that this is enough i can walk in this but when we don't have faith in just Jesus Christ and we start to put it into all these other things, we're not really free. We're, we're still chained down. We're still trying to drag stuff behind us saying like I'm going to get to heaven but I need to bring um, these good works with me. I need to bring all this stuff with me. And so we just we keep trying and we strive and we do all these things but we're not really free. And so that's what, what Paul is getting at here through this whole argument is that we are not free if we adhere to any other gospel other than Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, but don't use that freedom to now just live for yourself. Because it's easy to say, okay, well, if Jesus is the only way and I believe that I'm free now, there's always that temptation and immaturity to say, well, I can do what I want because, like, if I sin, like, Jesus' blood covers me, so... You know, why do I need to even try? But Paul says here, and he's addressing the church, serve one another in love. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity to serve your flesh, but rather serve other people. And if we're all serving one another, we're growing as a body and our needs are being met. And so we don't need to worry that, well, if I'm serving everybody else, like I'm not going to, you know, be able to take care of myself. We live lives of service to each other, in love. And he then warns, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Because what happens is when we allow a lack of love or pride or selfishness into the church body, we stop living for each other. You know, if we allow legalism or any false gospels into the church, we stop living in love for each other. And then we start to bite and devour. Because then it's like, well, look what I'm doing over here. Like, I'm such a good person. That person, they clearly need to get on my level. Or look at how well I have followed the Jewish law or the Old Testament law. And I'm just doing so well. But, oh, that person over there, they're, you know, they're eating unclean meat offered to idols. You know, like, This is what Paul's addressing here at the church. is like, you need to be living life in love for one another. Don't be... Biting and devouring one another in your pride and in your selfishness. So how do we do this? How do we live a life of love for one another? Paul continues on in verses 16 through 24. These are, um, most of us have memorized these verses or studied these. We put them into practice quite a bit. And so this is the bulk of the verses we're hitting today. So Paul starts in verse 16. He says, I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law so he continues into verses 19 through 21 talking about what the works of the flesh are what the works of sinful human nature is Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he continues on to verses 22 through 24 to show what the fr- a fruitful life of walking in the Spirit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." So let's kind of go back to the start of this passage here. Paul is saying, walk by the Spirit. Because as Christians, when we are saved, when we are initially justified by God as no longer under sin, the Holy Spirit, also a part of the Trinity, so being fully God, dwells within us. So the Holy Spirit serves as a seal of our inheritance in heaven. The Holy Spirit also acts as a counselor and a guide and teaches us the word daily. And so Paul encourages us here, if we don't want to allow our freedom to be an opportunity for the flesh, we need to be walking by the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. And if we do that, we're not going to follow through with carrying out the desires of the flesh. Because we still live in this weird tension in our lives that although God dwells within us, although it says in Romans we are new creations in Christ, we are spiritually alive, but we still reside here on earth in these mortal bodies. And there's this tension of God, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within us as a new creation, but still this human nature that we have. And there's this wrestling of wanting to follow the holy spirit's leading but also having to fight the desires of the flesh and paul reminds us here he and this is a definite this isn't like oh maybe you'll have a higher probability or maybe you'll just you know hopefully like let's just hope that we all do better he says walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh so the flesh and the spirit they are opposed to each other What the spirit desires is against the flesh, what the flesh desires is against the spirit. And there is this wrestling within us. But if we follow the spirit, we will not be following the flesh, because you cannot follow both. And he continues by saying, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And I want to hit on that phrase, because I think sometimes it gets overlooked. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So, going back to the start of chapter 5, verse 3 when Paul is arguing um, for our freedom in Christ, Paul stated that if a man accepts circumcision as a means of salvation, he's now obligated to keep the whole law. And so he was saying that to the, um, the church at that time, but this is still applicable to us too. Because if we start accepting other things as a means for our salvation, apart from Jesus Christ those things we are now obligated to follow. That becomes our law we have to follow. And so what Paul is saying is that if we are led by the spirit implying that we're already believers and if we follow the spirit we're not under the law of these works that we create for ourselves. So to be led by the spirit is the result of the freedom that we have because of Jesus Christ's atonement for our sins. We're no longer under the law. And I love that Paul says that there because it once again reinforces this idea of freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. So after he states that, he then goes on to create um, this uh, illustration of what a flesh-filled life looks like and a spirit-filled life looks like. And so he talks about what is the works of the flesh? What are they? And he goes on to bring out all these things Outbursts of anger, sexual immorality, idolatry, dissensions and divisions, factions, envy, drunkenness. And he says, I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to talk about that last statement as well. um, Because there can be some tension and some scariness surrounding that. He says, those who practice such things, um, other texts will say those who make a practice of doing such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And many times the legalists will latch on to this to say, see, see, like this is why we need to keep like, relying on good works in order to be saved. And... It's true, like, many times growing up I read these and I really struggled with it because it kind of scared me, this idea of, like, well, if I get angry once or envious once, like, am I suddenly, like, forfeiting my salvation? And so here's what I want to look at. You know, once again, I always say this, that when we read the Bible, we have to study Scripture holistically. We can't just cherry-pick a verse and then just only study that. We need to compare it against all the Bible. And so that's not something we're always going to be perfect at, but if we keep studying the word and keep living it out, we're going to be applying it throughout our whole life. And so we'll be able to pull from other sections to better understand what certain verses are saying. So what I want to um, do here is look at 2 Corinthians 7 uh, verses 10 through 11. And we don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to quick say a phrase from it. Paul reminds the church in Corinth at that time, in this chapter he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And I want to draw from that because it is just as applicable because it is the word of God. Because at the time, when he was writing to Corinth, um, they had to repent of some things that he had previously written to them and convicted them of. But then he reassures them that they are still in God. They are still part of the kingdom. They are still saved. They didn't forfeit their salvation. Because he said, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So their grief came as a result of the Holy Spirit within them. Because once again, when we become Christians, we are given new life in Jesus Christ. So God is the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. So therefore, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it will produce a godly grief within us that's going to lead us to repent of our sins. So Paul's writing these words to the Corinthian church at that time to reassure them that they truly belong to God because of the response to this conviction. And this is still applicable to us today. So what Paul is saying here is that those who practice such things, think of the word practice. If you're a high school athlete or a college athlete, professional athlete, you put into practice skills to be good at a certain sport. So if you play soccer, you're going to be practicing those skills to get ready for the games, to get ready for the season. And then as you build on those skills, you're going to be practicing new skills to get better and better and better. Think about certain careers you know we talk about like people as lawyers or doctors how they start their own practice and so they do work that goes in line with their career and so what we're saying what paul's saying here is not this idea that it's a one and done like once you get angry or envious you're out of the kingdom but those who keep putting this into practice And also what Paul is saying, and I'm trying to really toe the line here because these words can sometimes be used as a form of legalism as well that people will use against each other. And so what I'm trying to do is take this section of scripture and also what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians and saying that if we're truly led by the Spirit, we're not going to be practicing these things. Because the Spirit's going to convict us, which will lead to godly grief, which will lead to repentance. So, we all are going to sometimes wrestle with things of the flesh. It's part of this human life. The Holy Spirit calls us to holiness, and so each day we have a choice to be obedient. But some days we may stumble. And that doesn't mean that that one work of the flesh that you disobeyed in now forfeits your salvation. But if we keep walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict us. And it will produce a sense of grief within us to turn away from that sense of living and go back to what God is calling us to, which is ultimately to be more like his son Jesus, which is holiness. We aren't going to be perfect in this life, but we are called to keep growing in this life. And so I want to reassure anyone here and also to denounce any form of legalism that might spring up from this text that We must be walking in the Spirit. We must be following the Holy Spirit each and every day. But there is still grace from God when we stumble. And it is that grace that calls us back to God. So I just... um, I just really want to hit on that as well because I don't want anyone to um, be afraid or feel that they now have to re-earn their salvation if they stumble in sin. Because you cannot re-earn your salvation. You're already saved. You're already a new creation. But God will call you back to the standard of holiness that he has been working within us. And so that godly grief that comes from conviction produces that turning away from sin and from the flesh. So he gives a portrayal of the works of the flesh. And now we're going to look at what the spirit-filled life looks like. And so we go to verses 22 through 24. And he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so as we continue crucifying the flesh each and every day, fruit is going to be bearing up within us. Not because we're just really good Christians at following our own rules, but because we are abiding in Jesus and following his spirit. And this fruit is not this kind of like you get to handpick what you want like oh i want a little more joy in my life or a little more love but oh i don't i don't need patience like i don't really want that fruit like no this is just fruit that springs up from abiding in christ so as we grow and as we mature we should be able to look at this fruit as kind of like markers in our life of maturity and growth we're not going to be perfect at it but we can still see that by walking in the spirit it cultivates fruit in our life. We're going to start being more loving to people. We're going to be more joyful and less stressed out in our life. We're going to be more at peace in God. We're going to be more patient. We're going to be more kind. And we're going to have more self-control. But it's all because we're walking in the Spirit. It produces almost like a fertile ground within us for fruit to just spring up, you know, and for trees and vines to grow and just produce this fruit in our lives. And so this is what Paul's trying to get at here is this dichotomy of what a spirit-filled life looks like as opposed to just a living for oneself. And so that brings me to um, one of the final points for today. So we're called to use our freedom to serve one another in love. And so what Paul's trying to get at here is that love will protect the church body against both legalism and license. So once again, I'm going to kind of go back to the start of these verses. We're looking at verses 13 through 15. I'll read it again. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Serve one another in love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. So once again, love protects against the license to sin. Because if we are abiding in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so this love is going to be cultivated within us to now serve in love to one another. And so there won't be this biting and devouring of each other as we all try to selfishly get what we want in the church. We will be growing together as a body of Christ, unified in the Holy Spirit. And the final verses of today also protect against legalism. So looking at verses 25 through 26, Paul concludes by saying, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so once again, love protects against this form of legalism as well. So I want to kind of take a look at these words again to really like get the full weight and meaning of what um, Paul is saying. So when he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, the word conceited um, is in the um, Greek text. It's Strong's G2755, And the word is kanadixos. It's glorying without reason. It's conceited vain glory or an eagerness for empty glory. So it's this sort of vain, empty living in which we're just seeking our own glory. And Paul warns against that. Don't try to seek out this vain glory for yourself. Don't provoke one another. Provoke in the Greek is prokaleo and that means to call forth to oneself more specifically to challenge to a combat or contest with one and so this kind this idea of provoking is this idea of calling out someone and challenging them and a lot of times when we're doing it with conceit it's because we're trying to assert ourselves and be right over someone else in the church And the reason I'm really hitting on these verses is because a lot of times this is where legalism tends to creep into the church. This is where good works tends to creep into the church. Is that we start to pride ourselves in how good we follow the Bible. And this is, I, I, I'm really thankful Paul put these verses here. Because his warning to us is pointing out just one of the cunning strategies of Satan. Satan. Like, I think it's very obvious to us that Satan is going to tempt us to sin. Like, we're always on our guard about that. We wake up and we're like, okay, like, I know I struggle with this. Satan's going to try to get me to do this today. But what happens a lot of times is that even when we are walking in the Spirit, or even when we do something right, Satan will still try to use that opportunity to make us prideful about the fact that we followed Scripture. So Paul's reminding us here that even though we're walking the Spirit and following the Spirit, don't let that now become a source of conceit or empty glory because that will divide the church. Because if I start saying, well, look at how the Spirit convicted me in this, and, well, you're not following that same conviction I hold, and I start to call people out, I'm now provoking people, and it's not in love. It's because I'm trying to assert myself over people. Um, so I'm going to actually give a personal example on this. Um, I didn't really want to, and I wasn't really looking forward to this sermon today because I don't always like sharing my own struggles, but I also understand it's necessary to be sincere with you know, my brothers and sisters. Um, a personal example of this, just to kind of drive home the point, Um, For a long time I've struggled with anxiety. Um, Most of the time my anxiety is driven more by a comparison than anything else. Um, So I tend to look at what other people are doing and use that as a gauge for how I'm doing. And as most of you know, that means that Things like Instagram are a terrible thing for me, <laughs> you know, because like I used to be on Instagram and I would like just like see, you know, I'd follow like fitness influencers or I'd follow like DIY people or you know just like even just seeing what friends are up to. And of course, you know, Instagram is always suggesting all these new things, and so you're always getting all this new content suggested for you because you know once you like something, the algorithm like hones in on that. Um, and so it just became this thing where it's like, at first I was like, oh yeah, it's cool to keep up with friends, you know, and you know, to see actual pictures of what people are doing. And you just mindlessly start scrolling through all these pictures. But what was happening was all of a sudden, then it was like, I would get anxious because it's like, these people are like, oh well, if you wanna get stronger, you need to do this in the gym. And of course I'm sitting there on my butt just watching my phone. I'm like, oh, I feel so bad because I'm not at the gym right now. Or, you know, you start seeing people like, look at these places we travel to. And, of course, I'm like, well, I'm just sitting here on my butt. I didn't go to this place and travel to it. Like, what am I doing with my life? Or someone's like, oh, well, if you really want to get ahead financially, you need to start doing all these investment tips. And it's like, oh, what am I doing with my life? And, oh, if you want your house to look nice, you got to do all these DIY tips and start doing all this renovation. And, you know, of course, I'm sitting here, like, in my relaxation time, like, feeling this anxiety bin because, like, oh, I'm not keeping up with the world. And you know, it created tension in our marriage. You know, Angela can attest to that (laughs) because I'm like, well, honey, we got to do this stuff. She's like, well, why? I'm like, because everybody else is doing it, you know, but it was creating this anxiety in me that wasn't healthy because I wasn't walking in the spirit. Therefore, I wasn't producing the fruit of peace and joy. I was just sitting in this mire and muck of just comparing myself to what the rest of the world is doing and thinking that well if I don't stack up to the world's standards of success like what am I and so you know over time the Holy Spirit started convicting me of that and it came to the point where I was like I need to just delete Instagram I need to delete my profile and just get rid of it Um, and so I did Now, I still have my Facebook, Um, you know, that one, because it's not so picture and video driven, it's easier just to kind of like quick check in on some family and friends, or maybe like if I'm in a Facebook group or a community or something um, to talk with people. Um, You know, but I still use that sparingly and I have to check my attitude before I log into it. But I got rid of Instagram and instantly like the anxiety started going away. But because Satan is very cunning, He's, I started stumbling again in my pride because then I started looking at other people, and saying like, "Oh well, they shouldn't be on Instagram either, because like clearly they're struggling with anxiety, or like, and maybe they shouldn't be comparing themselves to other people the way I have been. But look how I followed the spirit, and now I'm feeling better. So like, I need to tell them that they should probably consider getting off Instagram. And even I, um, when I first started preaching. Um, a couple years ago, I, a lot of my sermons kind of dealt with that because at that p- time, I was struggling with that anxiety. And I had recently been getting off of Instagram and cutting back my social media usage. But it started coming out in my sermons where I would really hone in on this and be like, social media is this evil thing and you all need to get rid of it. And Angela, in her uh, gentleness and grace, kind of reminded me after you know maybe two or three sermons of that, she's like, Dale when you preach, like, you're, you're really hitting your points well, but you keep going into these tangents about social media, and not everyone is gonna struggle with the same things you struggle with. And like, it just kind of reminded me of like, oh, like, I guess that's true, like, I get so caught up in like, here's my struggle, I did this, you all need to follow now. And yet, like, not everybody's gonna struggle with that. you know. And it just, you know, it was just that gentle reminder that, like, I was thankful for because, like, it just started to change. You know, I had to repent of that pride in myself as I was provoking others to, in a sense, get on my level of holiness because, well, this is what the Spirit led me to do. And so that is an example of provoking one another, is that sense of conceit. And so we must be aware of that. You know, also we must be aware of envying one another. Um... You know, I think a lot of times when we think of conceit, we always think of pride. But pride is not just one asserting oneself over another person. It can also come in the form of low self-esteem. Because both forms is a person trying to get glory for themselves, either by asserting themselves over other people, or jealous or envious of someone else getting glory that they didn't get. And so Paul reminds us, don't let that conceit cause you to provoke or envy each other. And why I'm really honing in on this is because the Spirit-led life in one way unites all of us because we're all pursuing holiness. But that doesn't mean all of our lives have the same sort of uniformity and that we all do the exact same thing. Because the Holy Spirit's going to convict us in different ways that will all still result in holiness, though. So I might struggle with something. The Holy Spirit's going to convict me, and it's going to lead me to holiness and fruit. The Holy Spirit's going to convict Jesse of something else. He's going to um, obey that and live in that, and it might look different than me, but it's still going to result in holiness and fruit. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that we need to consider these attitudes in the church body. Cuz I think a lot of times we look at these verses and we just we we individualize it so much where it's just this these verses just become self-help verses where it's like okay, I just need to walk in the spirit. I just need to walk in the spirit and then I won't get angry. I just need to walk in the spirit. But like it's more so than that. Paul invites the entire church to come into this and be the body of Christ as we live this out. Because a lot of times what happens is when we only look at this from an individual standpoint we start to say well look at how God's been working in me you need to get on my level or why is God calling me out why doesn't he call that person they're a jerk like let them be fixed and you know convicted you know when we start to provoke we start to envy all these different things but we need to understand that it is because of our freedom that Christ is that God is continuing to call us into holiness it is because of this freedom then that we love one another and encourage each other to grow in this holiness, not provoking, not envying one another. And so I want to kind of end with, on these verses specifically, and encourage all of us here to consider this attitude in many different areas. So for example, you know, the topic of wealth, I feel like there's, you know, that's always been a divisive point in many churches. There are some people who may have been blessed in a financial position and some who haven't. And a lot of times um, what happens is this division comes in because someone will say something like, well, look at how I obeyed God and followed him in all these areas and he's blessed me financially. And if you do that, you'll be blessed financially too. And we start to provoke people because then we start to think, well, if you're not doing well financially, then clearly you're not following the Holy Spirit. But then at the same time, we also have this, well, God's not blessing me financially. Maybe this is just, I, I just need to struggle in this and just be OK with it." But then we look at other people and we're angry with the fact that they're being blessed spiritually, but we're not look, uh, being blessed financially, but we're not looking at our own blessings. So wealth can be one of those things, and we've seen it divide churches. We've seen politics divide churches. You know, I, I know we all kind of, like, sometimes get into this idea that, like, our political view we assume every other Christian holds. But I can tell you I've talked to many different people who have different views politically. And it's kind of ironic because, like, I've heard people on both ends of the political aisle say, like, well, I don't know how someone couldn't be a Democrat or I don't know how someone can be a Christian and not be Republican and, like, and we start to even allow political identity or political stances become a source of provoking and envying. Because we allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, we follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then all of a sudden it becomes this source of conceit if we're not careful. And so we must also be careful about um, allowing political stances to divide us. Spiritual gifts. If I'm up here preaching and i'm like well god led me to this and convicted me that like i need to start you know digging more into men's group and then teaching the church and therefore everybody else needs to be clearly following the same path i'm just allowing my own conceit to challenge and provoke the church body but likewise if someone's sitting in the audience saying like oh i can't believe like i have never been given the opportunity to preach like oh like and they start envying like this is allowing sin to come back in, conceit to come back in and divide the church. And this can come in a lot of different areas. You know, it can be anything from how we parent. You know, do you choose to send your kids to home homeschool or public school? You know, do you do essential oils or medicine for your kids? You know, when it comes to healthy stuff, like, do you follow certain diets or whatever? You know, like, we have to be aware of different ways the Holy Spirit will lead us to live our lives because yes, we should steward our bodies well but if we start then saying well because I had to go on a diet now everybody else does like that's not trusting the Holy Spirit to lead that's just provoking if we start to say well I'm mad because God didn't give me this spiritual gift we're denying the work of the Spirit in our lives and we're just envying one another and so as I wrap this up I really want to encourage everyone here. There is tension in our life and that's okay. We have to be okay with that and we just have to kind of rest in that. So we have to go to the word daily. We have to be in prayer daily. Because if we aren't it's easy to start falling into just just earthly mindsets. All of a sudden, we start to fall into the trap of, I can live how I want because I'm a Christian, I'm not going to hell. Or we can fall into the trap of like, oh, I should probably work a little bit harder just to make sure that I am going to heaven. And so Paul encourages us, walk in the Spirit daily. Walk in the Spirit in everything you do. When you get up to how you eat breakfast or lunch, to going to your job, to raising your children, everything you do, walk by the Spirit. If we are doing that, the Spirit is going to lead us to a life of holiness. And we're not going to be fulfilling the desires of our own flesh. And also, if we keep walking the Spirit, we're not going to let that become a source of pride and conceit for us. We're just going to keep loving one another, and serving one another. When it comes to areas of spiritual gifts, we're all going to be equipped in certain ways by the Holy Spirit to live out the mission of the church and to be the body of Christ. We're not going to allow like the charismatic gifts or the non-charismatic gifts to divide us. We're not going to allow denominational lines to divide us. And so, wrapping this up, I just want to say... Once again, to reiterate Paul, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but let us serve one another in love, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. So, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the teaching that your Holy Spirit gives to us daily to understand your word more deeply each and every day. We thank you for the conviction that your Holy Spirit brings to help us uh, remain aligned with the call to holiness. Lord, we ultimately thank you for the freedom that is found in your Son. We thank you that we are free, that we are no longer burdened and chained down by the ways of this world and by laws but that we are free because of your son and because of that freedom we can now live in love and humility and service for one another lord these verses are tough there is a lot of tension and i i hope and pray that my words made sense to all of us here um but lord Honestly, we're probably going to walk away from this and still feel some of that tension, and we have to wrestle in it, and that's okay. Because in that wrestling, you invite us to yourself to come to you for understanding and teaching. And so, Lord, I pray that for all of us here, in the tension and in the wrestling of these verses, that you would continue calling us to holiness and a spirit-led life. Lord, help us not to bite and devour each other in our own selfishness and help us not to grow conceited and to challenge and assert ourselves over one another or to envy one another. But Lord, help us to be the body of Christ because this city needs it. There is darkness here in Janesville. There's darkness in this world and you have given the mission of your kingdom to the church body. Jesus Christ is the head. The church is the body, and we are called to live out the mission. But if we bite and devour one another and consume one another, and the church becomes cannibalized by pride and selfishness and sin, then we're not living that mission, and we're not reaching people who desperately need freedom. So Lord, I pray that this year you would continue your work in Mercy Hill Church at all three campuses, that you would continue your work in the other churches in Janesville. Lord, help us to unify by the Spirit and by our faith and not to unify along political or denominational lines or or certain convictions. Lord, help us to live with love and humility for one another. Help us to once again see each other as human beings. I feel like over the last couple of years, we've dehumanized each other because it's just been easy to just say, well, if someone doesn't agree with me, then I don't need to listen to them. Lord, help us to see our brothers and sisters as human beings made in your image once more, that we would do life with them and love them. And although we may not have the exact same conviction, we all understand that we are being called to holiness. And so in that call to holiness, help us, to spur one another on to love and good works. Lord, I pray that you would do this work. It cannot be done in our own strength. We must rely on you. And so, God, I just ask that these things be done in your Son's holy, authoritative, powerful name. In your name we pray these things. Amen.